name is Joanna Vanderfluck of JCV Art Studio, and welcome to a second episode of Sophisticated Creatives, which describes you, me, and today's featured guest, multi-published author Winona Kent. Winona is an award-winning author, as well as the regional representative of the Crime Writers of Canada. I'm going to give you a little bit of a background on Winona. Winona was born in London, England. She grew up in Regina, Saskatchewan, where she completed her BA in English at the University of Regina. After moving to Vancouver, she graduated from UBC with an MFA in Creative Writing. And just recently, Winona has received her diploma in writing for screen and TV from the Vancouver Film School. Welcome, Fanona. Hi, thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. (laughs) I've just moved my desk over from the window to its winter quarters at the dining room table, which is much warmer. (laughs) That's it, those cold cold drafts. Yes. So I'm going to just continue a little bit with your uh, writing accomplishments here. I understand your breakthrough came through when you won the first prize in Flair Magazine's fiction contest. Yep. And it was a short story about an all-night radio newsman. Yep. It was, um, my husband was actually working on the radio and uh, I wrote a story about him and I submitted it to Flair, which used to be called Miss Chatelaine. Um, and they were actually running fiction at that time and they had a fiction contest and I submitted it and I won. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I miss that. I don't see magazines, uh, unless it's a specific writing magazine doing a lot of that anymore yeah this is back in the late 1970s so it was uh it was a while ago (laughs) okay now you have also won numerous awards for your writing and we would be here for a very long time if we went went through all of them congratulations thank you now before we get onto your current novel lost time I want to ask you about your short story, Dietrich, am I saying that right? Yep, yep, it's a German name, Dietrich. Okay, Dietrich's Ash. And I understand that was an Okanagan Short Fiction Award winner as well. Mm -hmm. So can you enlighten our listeners about the story's journey and how it eventually was broadcasted on the CBC radio? Well, it was inspired by a real incident that happened between my dad and our next door neighbor. Uh, He was a farmer who'd moved into the city and he bought the house next door to ours. And in the story, the farmer disputes the property line between his house and his neighbor's house and tries to reclaim his strip of land so he can widen his driveway, only to be thwarted by an ash tree, which the city had planted right on the property line. And this is an absolutely true story. So I... I wrote the story and I submitted it to a literary magazine and it ended up winning a short fiction award, as you've mentioned. And then a couple of years later, CBC Radio in Saskatchewan was looking for short stories to dramatize. And I submitted the story again and they accepted it and it was broadcast on the radio. And I think it was a few years after that that it was also included in the anthology called Pure Fiction. 
with some very That's good exciting. other writers. So yeah, it was exciting. <laughs> oh my gosh, that you know, I find sometimes the best material in a book comes from real life events. <laughs> oh yeah, this this was this was absolutely real. He chopped down all my dad's rose bushes and everything. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Was, oh, the story the story's on my website if you know where to look for it. So okay. <laughs> Okay, I will look for it. Yeah. <laughs> so then from there you went on and you wrote two spy novels mm-hmm. and your first mystery cold play. Mm-hmm. Now, if I understand, our hero, Jason Davey, that's where he makes his first appearance in cold play? That's right, yeah. I, I think I wrote it in 2012 and um, um, I was busy earning a living for a while after my two spy novels and I didn't do much writing and then in 2003, um, TELUS gave me a huge buyout. I was working for TELUS and I used part of it to go to film school. And that's where I decided to adopt a novel that I've been working on for years called Found at Sea into a screenplay. <laughs> and and after I got out of film school, I had to go back to earning a living. So a few more years passed and then around about 2012, I decided to turn the screenplay back into a novel and that novel became Coldplay, which is about a musician, Jason, working on board a cruise ship in Alaska. Now, you know, I've been trying to write a screenplay <laughs> and that's a whole nother learning curve, isn't it? Completely. It's it's all about writing um, dialogue with minimal action lines and you don't have the benefit of being able to get inside your character's head and talk about uh, what he's thinking or what they're what he's thinking of doing or anything like that it's all very much um, a blueprint for a director really it's and it's a whole different mindset I don't I don't yeah I don't find it as as um, wonderful as writing novels I'm more a novelist and I I really that's why I went back to writing novels after about seven years of doing screenplays because it just wasn't as emotionally satisfying for me as as yeah I I totally understand that yeah Yeah. because you you can't get you really can't get into your character's head (laughs) no not at all and and neither should you because when you're writing screenplays you are really writing, like I said, a blueprint for the director. And the chances are, if you're able to option your screenplay and if it's picked up and and they actually go into development with it, chances are they're going to hire people to sweeten it and to change it anyway. So you basically lose control of your screenplay. So so you, you could start out with one great idea and by the time it gets on the screen, you never know what it's going to be. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. oh. Okay, so then after Coldplay, you then wrote three time travel romances. Yes. Um, so I actually written a screenplay called Persistence of Memory right after I got out of film school. And I thought it would be a really good novel. And I was inspired to write that because I was really involved in researching my family tree. And I encountered a brick wall when I tried to find out where my grandfather, my great grandfather had come from. So I thought it might be fun to send a woman back from the present to the early 1800s to meet her ancestors and to solve a huge mystery that was similar to mine. So that's why I wrote the screenplay Persistence of Memory. And that's why I adapted it into a novel. And I was able to interest the publisher in it but they would only agree to publish it if I agreed to write a series. So I agreed to write a series. Um, And so the next one was called In Loving Memory, which takes place during World War II. 
But by the time I'd finished writing it, the publisher had gone out of business. <laughs> so yeah, it was awful. So I stuck trying to find a new publisher, which I did. And that publisher wanted to republish my previous four novels as well. So I signed over the rights. Yeah, it, well, it was a good idea about five years ago. So they reissued those four novels alongside In Loving Memory as a new novel. And then I wrote the third one, which is Marianne's Memory, which takes place in London during the swinging 60s. It's the same two characters, my, my woman Charlie and her companion Sean Dealey who she meets in the 1800s and he comes back to the present. I'm not giving away too many spoilers there. I mean. but, uh, <laughs> but by the time that one was ready to go, my publisher had decided to change directions and they didn't want to publish Marianne's memory. So another oh. piece of bad luck. So I self-published it instead. So that's why <laughs> I wrote the three, the three time travel novels. Yeah, got them out of my system. <laughs> and and then switch yeah. to mysteries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when I saw that, when I saw on your website that you had written three time travel romances mm-hmm. and then uh, went back to mystery, I thought, oh, please tell me someone didn't tell her she was too dark. <laughs> right? No, not at all. No, and they're not dark time travel novels either. They're really very light and, and a bit frothy and, and not really entrenched in real science fiction. I always felt a bit on the outskirts of the genre. I was never really into really heavy-duty science fiction with these. and. Um, so it was it was more something I did for fun. I really enjoyed playing with the concept of time travel, um, but um, I I never knew where it quite fit in terms of the genre. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're just going to stay on the line. We're just going to take a quick little interlude, and then we're going to get right into your current novel, Lost Time. Okay. welcome everybody welcome back we're with Winona Kent and uh, we are now going to talk about her current novel which I understand is your ninth novel it's it's my eight it's my eighth actually disturbing the piece which came before it uh, became two before it is actually a novella so it's novel number eight but it's my sort of my ninth adventure (laughs) good for you good for you so it's called lost time it takes place in London, and I'm just going to give the listeners a little bit of a, of a, not a synopsis, but just a, a bit of an idea. So, okay, so Lost Time takes place in 1970, well, it starts, the backstory starts in 1974. Um, and we have a UK Celtic band, band named Figgis Green. And in 1974, they were riding high in the charts um, with Celtic ballads. And during that time, one of their biggest fans was a 16-year-old girl named Pippa. Am I getting, am I pronouncing that right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Pippa Gladstone. And she mysteriously disappears while on holiday with her parents at the same year. Um, We then jump ahead to 2018 and the founding member Mandy Green wants to um, has reunited the Figs. I love that band name. <laughs> I love that name. So she's reuniting the Figs for their last ever Lost Time tour. And uh, her partner Tony Figgis 
has passed away and the, their son his, his son our hero um, and a jazz guitarist Jason Davy is going to take his place and I understand the band meets in a small village on the south coast of England for pre-tour rehearsals and Jason's approached by an individual who is a die-hard Figs fan and this person brings him a photo of the band performing in a festival and in the foreground is our missing Pippa Gladstone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, the, this individual offers Jason money to find out what really happened to Pippa. And I understand that while Jason is investigating, the individual is murdered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Jason starts to realize through his investigation that Pippa's disappearance, um, after following a series of clues, it leads him right back to his uh, to Pippa's immediate family. Mm-hmm. And and uh, God, the the mom, <laughs> she uh, declares her daughter dead. <gasps> mm-hmm. <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm not finished reading through the novel yet, but um, and I, I'm I'm very curious to find out because uh, just reading the summary, how. Uh, Jason's not prepared for what he finds out about Pippa right mm-hmm. when Fig is green is ready to take center stage. And I'm just like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he goes he goes somewhere um, on opening night and um, uh, I'll, I'll let you know he misses his sound check. They all, bands always have a sound check a couple of hours before the, um, the, open, the, the every time they perform. They do a sound check in each uh, performance venue, and he misses his sound check. <laughs> and I'll just leave that leave that with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, just some my first few questions for you mm-hmm. is: Lost time takes place in London, and I was just wondering why there. It actually takes place mostly in Stoneford, uh, which is um, on the south coast of England. So it's about two hours drive south of London, um, but close enough. Um, And Stoneford is the fictitious village that I created as the location for my time travel novels. So um, and I I thought it would be fun to go back to that place as I've never felt I'd quite finished with it, um, with the time travel story. So and when you create a fictitious village, you can do whatever you want with it. You're not worried about people who live there going, well, that would never happen here. Or, you know, something like that doesn't exist here. So you can do whatever you want with a fictitious village. And so I thought it would be really fun to put my my real present day characters into Stoneford, which people who've read my time travel stories will recognize. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is um, so neat when you get such an attachment to yeah to, to yeah. a town um a village that you've you've created and you're just not ready to leave it yet no i wasn't and and they actually um are rehearsing in an old manor called stoneford manor which actually um is at the historical home of uh the great 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 time six grandfather of my time travel hero <laughs> so so I, I i actually make good use of that particular place as well it's if you read the time travel stories there's a whole history that goes with it and fires and all kinds of things <laughs> that's that's cool that's very cool. Yeah. yeah and i find sometimes with writing you know you'll write something 
um, let's say you'll, you'll write a location, you'll write circumstances, and then maybe uh, 14 chapters later, you think of something else and you're managing and you manage to tie it into that first chapter, like the first chapter, what you, you originally wrote and that connection, mm-hmm. which may have been totally like off your radar. But when that happens, you're, you're just, you're, 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 you're doing a little happy dance. Right? Yeah. 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 And I, I'm very um, location oriented when I'm, when I love a place, I really love a place. I'm also obsessed with the London underground and I've written a few things about the London underground. And when you really love a place, you love it. <laughs> cool. So that mm-hmm. kind of leads me into another question because my sister is a writer and she and I, we're talking about the lure of having a novel situated in Europe. Mm-hmm. And do you feel there is a lure or maybe a romance of having a novel take place overseas compared to Canada? Well, I think when people read for uh, escape, you know, so they want to be taken out of what's ordinary for them and what's what they're really familiar with. I think a lot of people want to read about other places and be transported away to that. So that may be happening uh, with what you're thinking about there. There was a yeah. time when I was at university in the 1970s when Canada was considered a very boring setting for a novel. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that's all changed over the past 30 years or so. Um, aside from a couple of short stories and my master's thesis, which took oh, wow. place in, in Regina in 1882, back when it was called Pile of Bones, um, <laughs> and, and my first published novel, which took place in Vancouver in 1987, I've always wanted to set my story somewhere where I wasn't living. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure why, except that perhaps I'm just really drawn to the unusualness of the locations, um, whereas I seem to consider where I'm living more ordinary and mundane and not as inspiring, but that's just me. Um, I used to be a travel agent and my dad was also a travel agent, so maybe it's just the craving to look overseas for inspiration that's in my blood. <laughs> yeah, and, and you also want the escape too, as, yes. as the writer. I, I, I actually do, yeah, because I'm I totally write to um, let my imagination go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Now, your character, Jason Davy, he's a jazz musician turned sleuth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really like him. Um, mm-hmm. Some definite laughing out loud chuckles when I was reading. I like that he has faults. He's mm-hmm. not perfect. Mm, absolutely. And I- <laughs> And his whole attitude towards, and I'm not going to give it away, but, you know, posting pictures on social media. I, I, oh my God, I was there. Okay. And I wanted to ask you, why did you want him to be a musician? Well, mostly because he was a musician in Coldplay. Um, he was an entertainer on board a cruise ship. Um, speaking yeah. of social media, he was he was really into Twitter on in Coldplay. Like he was he was he had a whole following on Twitter and he was called his his Twitter name was Coldfingers because he was on a cruise ship in Alaska. Um, But uh, my sister worked for Princess Cruises for about 15 years as a captain's secretary. So I traveled with her a few times and I stayed in her cabin and I saw life on board a ship from a crew perspective. And I wanted to give 
Jason an occupation aboard the ship that would let him see life at sea from a passenger perspective as well as a crew perspective and being an entertainer did that. Um, and so that was his backstory um, in Disturbing the Peace, which is my novella. He's been ashore for a few years and he's working at a nightclub and he gets involved in tracking down a musician who's gone missing. And that's where he discovers that he's quite good at it. Um, and plus, I, I don't think there are any amateur sleuths out there who are also professional musicians. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so I've, I, like I started, I was writing in, I'm going to be dating myself here, in 1999 and before then. And I remember reading, honestly, magazines saying, when you pick, when you write your character and decide what your character is going to be um, and choose an occupation for your character, uh, your, whether it's your hero or your heroine, um, you were to stay clear of any sort of occupations such as um, actors, socialite, um, musician, they're saying be, it, because the reader wouldn't be able to identify with the character. So I'd read this and I thought, okay, no actors, no this, no this, right? And yeah. then I read a novel by Dick Francis and his main character was an actor. Mm -hmm. And uh, so do you feel, and I may not have the right word here, do you feel that there's almost a double standard for beginning writers trying to break into the market compared to an established writer who has a name, who can write whatever he or she wants? Well, I think the publishing industry has changed a lot since 1999. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I think that back in those days, you still had the opportunity as a debut writer to uh, get a publishing contract and then the publisher would allow you maybe four novels to develop your readership. Um, and that just doesn't exist anymore. Um, and I know that agents these days are looking for the next big thing. Um, yeah. And they're very, very interested in debut writers who can generate million dollar bestsellers. And yeah. the subject matter of those books tends to change according to public whim. So, of course, they're going to advise debut writers to write whatever they anticipate the reading public will be interested in. And once you've made a name for yourself, there is a good deal of leeway. But... Yeah. And you may be able to write what interests you instead of what your publisher suggests, but there's a risk in that, in that if you write what interests you and it turns out to be something that doesn't sell well, you may end up losing your publisher because they'll decline to publish your next book based on bad sales of the previous one. So I think it's a lot riskier these days than it ever used to be back before 2000. Um, and I just, uh, uh, if you're self-published, it's a whole different ball game. You can write whatever you feel like writing, you know, the difference, is, <laughs> yeah, the, di the difference is that you shoulder the entire burden of PR and sales. So it's up Absolutely. to you, up to you to convince the readers out there to buy your book. And it's really simple. Yeah. But if you're not writing something that they want to read, then you won't make many sales. But if you don't care so much about the sales and you care more about writing what you want to write, then you can do that. It's really simple. Yeah. Um, but I, I've never heard what, that what you just told me about not picking certain occupations. But I, I think that people read more to escape than anything else. And I think their experience in the world and with media and TV and movies and books now is so much wider 
that I think I they may not necessarily want to relate to an actor or a musician or anything like that. But if you present the character as having that occupation, why not? They'll they'll accept it if you describe it the right way for them. You know? Well, that's like with Jason, Jason mm-hmm. Davey. Yeah. I mean, reading about sound checks, reading about rehearsals. Like, I think there's even at one point where they're having a bit of a, I won't say um, an argument, but uh-huh. it, it's about song choices. Yep. <laughs> right? Yep. <It's>, yep. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so this is what it's really like. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I, I did a lot of research on that. I really did. I, I read tour diaries and rehearsal diaries. I, I found actual real rehearsal diaries from actual real musicians. And oh, I, I, yeah, and I, I, I know what goes on. <laughs> I probably didn't make it as bad as some of the arguments have been, but um, I had fun with those arguments. There were a few of them in the book. <laughs> that is so cool. So cool. Thank you. So we're going to take one more little interlude and then we'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. Um, we are with Winona Kent, and we've been talking about her latest mystery novel, Lost Time. Now, Winona, you are a female, and you, <laughs> no kidding. I'm sorry. You are female, it's okay. <laughs> but you're writing in a male voice, and you do a fantastic job. Thank you. When I was, you know, I've started reading your novel, and I was in Jason's point of view. And I forgot that a female was writing this novel. Okay, mm-hmm. it was his point of view. It was a man. Um, and now I haven't had a chance to read all your books, uh, but do you prefer writing in the male point of view? And I was wondering if there was a certain reason why. Um, I actually didn't think I'd written too many other stories in the first person from a male point of view, but in fact, I have. I went back and looked at them all. One of my unpublished novels from the 1970s when I was still at university was about a guy who had multiple personalities, and it was written in the first person from three different male points of view. Um, and And my first published short story, Tower of Power, about the radio guy, that was written yeah. in the first person from a male point of view. And Dietrich's Ash is written from a male point of view in the first person. And Coldplay. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I guess I must enjoy doing it. I mean, I, 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 I guess I like the challenge of really stepping outside my comfort zone and looking at life through male eyes rather than female eyes. That's, that's, I'm very definitely female and um, I'm heterosexual, but I just yeah. find it kind of fun to right from a male point of view well you do a great job i mean thanks yeah there there's yeah i'm not going to say anymore you do a great job (laughs) (laughs) so any of the novels you read as a teenager influence what you want to write well, I've always tended to binge read. So as a te- teenager, I was into reading series of books. So I remember I was absolutely fascinated by the Foresight Saga by John Galsworthy, which was adapted to TV, and all of John Lucari's spy novels, and all of the books by Monica Dickens. And Monica Dickens was Charles Dickens' great-granddaughter. She's a fabulous writer. Yeah, she's British. She married an American Um, went to live in the States. She's dead now, but she was a fabulous writer. And she had a knack of coming up with really surprising, unusual descriptions in her narrative. And I know that stuck with me. So 
I try to delight and surprise my readers with the occasional completely strange or odd description or piece of dialogue. And there's a really good line in Lost Time. Jason's mother says it towards the end of the book, and you'll know it when you read it. And I have no idea where it came from, but she's really angry and upset with Jason. And it just came out of her mouth, and I loved it so much I had to keep it. And I can almost guarantee you will never read a line like that anywhere else. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. She's, she's swearing. <laughs> <laughs> so you you've had numerous books and short stories published by the traditional publishers. I wanted to know why you decided to independently publish Disturbing the Peace, Notes on a Missing G-String, and Lost Time. Is well, it because the, the, the publishing industry has changed mm-hmm. so much? Or? Yeah. Yeah, it's a few things. I decided to self-publish Disturbing the Peace because I, I honestly didn't think I'd be able to find a publisher who'd be interested yeah. in a novella. Um, I tried to interest an agent in Notes on a Missing G-String, and to be honest, I tried about 150 agents in three countries, uh, but wow. I couldn't find any that were interested, even though it was a first novel in a proposed series. And I also tried the traditional publishers that were still accepting unagented submissions, and I had no luck, so I self-published it. Um, basically because I really believed it was a decent, well-written, mid-list novel and it deserved to be read. Um, And I didn't bother trying to find an agent or a publisher for Lost Time because I know most agents and publishers aren't interested in picking up a second novel in a series when the first one's already been published somewhere else. And I didn't want to spend three to six months waiting for a reply from all those agents. And then on the off chance that if I did get a positive response and they were able to find a publisher, it would be another year to two years before the novel would make it into print. So I was impatient to get Lost Time out there, so I self-published it. Yeah, and that's the thing I find. If you believe in that book, mm-hmm. you you will go, you will climb mountains to get mm-hmm. it published. And right. I know one of the things that I remember oh, before we did our move, and we were still living in Victoria. So, and I I don't mean to, I'm not trying to talk about my book, but I just I remember I believed in it. I got it out there. And I will never forget one day I was having a really bad day and I had taken the dog out um, so he could do his business and a neighbor drove down and she rolled down her window and she said, Joanna, I'm really enjoying your novel. Yes. (laughs) You know, and I thought I, that meant so much to me, you know, absolutely. Um, And it's, it's just, if you believe in it, do it right and do and it's it. so and it's so easy to do it now too before yeah. we didn't have those options but we do now if you're prepared to do you know like i said the pr and the editing and everything else go for yeah. it yeah 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 so okay going on to notes on a missing g string <laughs> so i remember grade 8 music lesson i had guitar class so i know a g string is a string on the guitar it is yeah <laughs> So have you had lots of questions and comments about the book's title and the book's cover? 
Mm -hmm. Well, I actually came up with the title as a joke um, before I wrote it, before I even had an idea what I was going to write. I was chatting with my friend in England and we were throwing ideas around for what Jason's next adventure would be after disturbing the peace. And I just threw the title at him and he said, that's not bad. So then we (laughs) agreed it was a really cool title. But what was I going to write to go with it? So it was a, a case of having the title first and then writing the story to go with it. And you know what it's about. It's a Jason investigates the theft of some money from a locker belonging to an exotic dancer in London. So, yeah. So my friend Brian designed all the Jason covers and he came up with a cover for G-String featuring a pole dancer and some flames and the guitar. The electric guitar is, is on all of Jason's books. The flames are there because Jason takes part in a fire walk that becomes important to the plot. And the pole dancer is there because he's investigating the theft from the dancer's locker. And the dancer's in silhouette. And in the first versions of the artwork, Brian gave her rather prominent nipples. (laughs) And and I told him he'd have to erase them because it looked far too racy. So he did. So you won't see any nipples on that pole dancer. But I still find myself telling people it's not porn when I give out business cards or I show them pictures of the cover. And my mother, who's 95, she thinks all I write about is sex. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. But yeah, I I have my business cards for that book are, are the book's cover. I do that every time whenever I have a book come out. I, I make up little business cards that are the cover of the book. And when I was handing out all the ones for G-String, it's like every time, it's just like I feel I have to say, it's not porn. There is a little sex Sorry. in it, which makes it really interesting because I'm writing from a male point of view. So that was a bit of a challenge, but it was right. fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> and you just gave everybody a marketing tip. Oh yeah, absolutely. Pick up that with book. Each. Yeah, yeah. So before we end, I'd like to hear a little bit about your virtual company, Blue Devil Books. Okay. Well, basically, Blue Devil Books is just Brian and me, my friend in England, and he created a little badge which shows a cute blue devil sizzling through a barrier. Um, the name of the nightclub where Jason has a residency in London is the Blue Devil, and which that's named after a jazz tune, Blue Devil Blues. So that's the connection right there. And basically, we just thought it would look better on the books and on Amazon to have a publisher's name associated with them. And Brian's created a website which sort of showcases my work, and it's got some reviews on it and some newsletters. And I know a few self-published writers have created their own virtual publishing companies, mostly for that reason. So that's why. Winona, that is fabulous. You really, I hope you give classes, um, paying <laughs> classes on marketing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't consider myself a very good marketer at all. I'm actually quite timid. I'm not shy. I'm just timid. Um, but I do have a business background to some extent because, as I said, I was a travel agent for about eight years, and that's pretty much a business background. Um, and I was also the, the um, uh, I, I was with Prism Magazine when I was at UBC, and I was the, um, the marketing person for that so for a year while I was doing my master's. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Bravo. Thanks. Bravo. <laughs> Thanks. So for the writer who is trying to break in, what takeaway or advice could you give to a new writer who who's who's just who's trying to get in and just I've I remember having those days where it's like, should I keep going? Mm. And 
usually I'd get inspiration from something or else I just I love my story so much what mm-hmm. what could what would you tell a new writer I would say you I would say think really seriously about what you want to do and how passionate you are about it and I, I keep seeing comments from new writers who are surprised about how little money most authors actually make compared to how much time and effort and hard work they've invested in their books so I'd say you really have to be committed and passionate and willing to put in all that hard work if you want to make a success out of your writing career and look seriously at your definition of success um if it's making lots of money and becoming an instant bestseller think again there's so yeah. few writers actually achieve that really lofty goal so my definition of success is being able to satisfy that hunger that drives my need to write and sharing a polished finished result with my readers no matter how many of them there are the amount of time i put into it will probably never justify the money that i make from sales but if you look at history that's often the way it is with all creatives we do it because yeah. we're passionate about what we're doing absolutely absolutely yeah. so our listeners out there where can they purchase lost time or any of your other novels they're all available on amazon in ebook and paperback Um I think they're in seven or eight marketplaces including Canada, the US and the UK. And I just got the rights back to my f- first five novels from the New York publisher that republished them 5 years ago. Uh they're no longer doing fiction so I thought it'd be a great opportunity to put them all back out myself again. So all eight of my books plus my novella are back under my control which I'm really happy about on Amazon. <laughs> and also they could learn about them on your own website. Yes, they're on my website. Um I've got the covers all there and I've got little synopses and I think I may have sample chapters up for some of them too. Okay, and your website being winonakent.com. That's it. Okay. And you were also on Facebook, Twitter mm-hmm. and Instagram? I am. Okay. And your article working with an outline was just posted on the blog writers first, right? Yes, yes. Okay. I'm well, I'm going to write some more, I think, but I haven't okay. come up with any titles yet. <laughs> okay. Winona, thank you so much. This has been so much fun and I've I've learned a lot. And uh I understand you're going to the Surrey Writers Conference or I am virtually. Been... Yes, I'm actually yeah. I'm actually going to have a couple of minutes in the uh, writers showcase to be chatting about my books. So I'm Excellent. looking forward to that. Yes. Excellent. Well, I really enjoyed our our talk today. I enjoyed and, it. being um, interviewed. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, great. Well, you do great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and enjoy the Surrey Writers Conference. Thanks. And for and for our listeners, next week our guest will be Miss Bloom from West Coast Bloom, and uh she will be talking to us about everything and anything you would like to know about cannabis because cannabis is legal in Canada um and if you would like if you would be doing me such a great favor if you could click follow on my podcast or subscribe if you use Google Play or share um our podcast so more people can learn about Winona Kent and her mystery novels share it on your social media Thank you Winona. Have a good evening. Thank you. A good day tomorrow and um thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. Okay.